Hello and welcome to the seventh ideas of seventh episode of Scroll Ideas. If you're new here, shame on you. Uh, but I'll still tell you about Scroll Ideas. It's a new show by Scroll where every episode we'll take an idea that Indians are discussing and debating. And we're going to break this down over the course of the next one hour. And we'll do this with a particularly brainy guest. The idea could be anything, law, politics, federalism, sports, food, drink, uh, Nehru, Modi, uh, Gandhi, whatever. If the idea is interesting, the idea is worth discussing, debating and having an adda over, we will do it. Uh, for this episode, we've got uh, legal scholar and commentator Anuj Bhuvanya, who I'm very pleased to have on the show. Anuj Bhuvanya is a legal professor at the OP Jindal Global University. And he's also a legal commentator and he's written a fantastic uh, book called Quoting the People. It's, it's around five years old now. And uh, it's really a remarkable book. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's shaped my, the way I think about uh, the intersectional law and politics in India, considering it's, you know, it's part of, it's also part of my job as a journalist. Uh, Anuj Bhavanya takes a, uh, does a history uh, as well as takes a very critical, fairly critical look at the institution of the PIL, uh, Public Interest Litigation in India, which remember, uh, enjoys a sort of hallowed status in India as as an epitome of an activist judiciary as a, as a, as an example of direct justice, and um, Anuj Bhavanya takes takes a sort of critical look at that and looks under the hood and uh, tells us that uh, it's not everything that it seems and there are a few problematic aspects to it. We'll come to the book and we'll come to and throughout the rest of the episode we'll also discuss the current state of the judiciary in India. Highly discussed, highly debated topic. Hi, Anuj. Welcome to Score Ideas. Very pleased to have you. Actually, very uh, glad to be here. Anuj, like I said, we'll get to the book, but I want to first start off uh, at the present moment. Uh, you know, uh, ju the judiciary is a hot topic of discussion. Uh, there's almost a consensus now amongst uh, legal scholars and wonks that the judiciary is not doing its job of checking the executive. So uh, a lot of people think that India is going through a period of democratic backsliding. And the obvious institution that could have checked that, or at least attempted to check that, was the judiciary. It's the it's, judiciary's it's, it's primary job uh, to be a check on the executive uh, constitutionally, according to not only India, but across the democratic world. Except the judiciary has not done that. In fact, it's not even not done that, as you've written yourself a couple of years back, that it's actually acted as a powerful sword that can be wielded on behalf of the executive. Break this down for us. Why is it not do, Why is it not doing its job, and how has it become a sword? Yes, um, thank you for that question, Shoaib. Uh, now, when we talk about the role of the court uh, in uh, the role of judiciary in India, we assume a certain kind of normative role that a judiciary is supposed to function in any liberal democracy, right? Um, now. And that is commonly understood as a function of a shield, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to a sword, uh, a shield um, in the hands of the people against the uh, against the excesses of the of the legislature uh, or, or, the, or the executive. Uh, in India, the judiciary has actually not performed that role in any significant manner for a long time now. Um, arguably, in my view, the high point of of the courts performing that role. Uh, this, is, this is very counterintuitive in most people's uh, imagination, I suppose. But in my view, it's actually the first two and a half decades of, of Indian independence that actually the court tried to perform that role, at least. Right. Uh, perhaps not adequately, but at least 
in in you know uh, at least uh in 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 many significant matters they tried to 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 uh, act against uh, you know uh, against the, the government of the day governments of the day and now the i think there was a big battle between the nehruvian zelet executive and the state over say land reforms oh sorry absolutely. the issue over land reforms yeah absolutely right. that of course was the signature battle of that of that era but there were a lot of other matters even civil liberties matters where the court uh, you know did uh, actually try to push again not adequately uh, like i said but at least So you know, in relatively. there was this uh, relatively. In fact, there was this article written nine seventy Economic and Political Weekly by this right. scholar called George Gadboys, whose work is being is being recently, uh, you know, getting a revival, uh, um, a, a much deserved revival. Who 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 can did a did a kind of a study of the cases for the first twenty twenty years of Indian independence, you know, the, right. then ex extant uh, cases, and he actually found quite a significant share of the constitutional cases in the High Court, Supreme Court, going against the government, right. right. Uh, which is which is quite remarkable, uh, you know, um, and especially remarkable the, where we are right now. But exactly, <laughs> now if, right. if somebody did a similar study for the last eight years, I would be very surprised if uh, anything like uh, in, in in any such proportion we will find uh, you know the courts deciding against right. the, uh, the the government. And I think uh, this this proposition of the of the court. Of course, not acting as a uh, as a shield—that's uh, an omission. But it's also act of commission in the sense of uh, of of actually acting in to 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 further the governmental agenda in ways inimical to the to, the, to its constitutional role. And the classic example of that is, of course, the NRC, right? The what the court has done, which is which people often forget, perhaps, is that um, is an exercise which actually was initiated by the court. Of course, there was a demand for it among certain sections in Assam for a while, but the court actually uh, initiated it. Uh, in a, in a matter uh, in a in a in a constitutional matter which uh, did not necessarily require it, you know, it was actually a a, a a a matter which is I think still pending, which required a constitutional interpretation, which the court has still not done. But in the meanwhile, it started this massive exercise, costing you know uh, many millions of dollars, um, uh, thousands of crores uh, actually, uh, um, uh, and which has led to radical uh, consequences in that state and potentially, as we know. Uh, uh, rest Born of India, India as well. Yeah. In fact, this it, it started off as a PIL, right? Exactly. Yeah, some right. public verse. Uh, that's the name of the case. Right. Yeah. In fact, yeah. this is like a, as you written in your book, this is a real feature of the PILs that you could start off at one point, and it could end off, God knows where, right? I mean, who, like to 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 order an exercise like that. And what is really interesting, I think, in NRC really is the state executive tried to do an NRC. Yes. It couldn't. Yes. Right? It's only the judiciary that, in a way, could push through such a draconian move. Absolutely, it could steamroll all all resistance in a manner that uh, that perhaps no other. And you know, pursued it single. You know, Justice Jogobai, who was heading that bench, pursued it. Uh, sing, I mean, you know, single-mindedly, as you can see. I mean, it's very rare that uh, uh, that in, uh, that a, a judge uh, is responsible for a single case for so long. You know, as he was, and you know, he right. he was obviously. Um, quite. I mean, I haven't read his autobiography, but presumably he, he does not. He would not. He would. He would not try to hide his, his 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 zeal with regard to that case. I would think. Right. I've read it. It's recommended reading, Anuj. <laughs> yes, I really should read it. I suppose. I think right. watchers should get a sense of reality by reading it. Yeah. I think so. And this is something that you've written in an article a couple of years back, and which I again found very interesting. <clears throat> and so, excuse me. And I want to discuss for our viewers here is that 
so there's you know you've had democratic backsliding in other countries you had a unusual role of the judiciary in other countries what is really unique in india i think as you put it is that it's happened without actually any actual structural change in fact there have been no changes in personnel even forget about structure right there have been no changes i mean if if you know if a martian came down and just read our legal text he might not even see anything amiss unless he really immerses himself uh, you know in 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 the works of people such as yourself what is how did how did how did the judiciary pull this off like uh, what what are the internal mechanics of uh, such a big change happening uh, without any uh, without any dejour change happening or is there no big change and it was always there and we just didn't see right now this is a, it's an interesting question i mean i think what you're contrasting it to and what i had mentioned also was the contrasting it to you know two well known examples of such democratic backsliding which is the erdogan's turkey and um and urban's hungary where they have been they have directly attacked the 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 courts and and uh, and incumbent judges and poland as well now uh, and interestingly also to counterpose it with mrs gandhi's emergency where um where also well known attack on on individual uh, judges uh, um you know judges being transferred for for doing their job of, you know and judges being not 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 confirmed a lot of judges uh had to lose their position high court judges that too quite interesting um and and not, so not only the person but also the powers of the, of the judiciary you know the 40 the the uh, infamous 42nd amendment which which changed many provisions of the constitution uh, was was particularly also aimed at the judiciary at 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 uh, reducing the powers of of judicial review um uh, you know on the, on the writ pa- uh, jurisdiction power i think there court. was a big back and forth a series of volleys golaknath to kesavananda yes. Yes, you know, yes, yes. Someone yes. just read the legal text. Yes, we could understand yes. that there's a jamila yes. happening, right? Absolutely. No, that there was no question uh, that there was and there was a, a war. <laughs> uh, right. That was that. Uh, but but in, at some level, the emergency. I'm just saying that uh, uh, the the measures that Mrs. Gandhi took during the emergency with regard to judiciary, uh, you know, uh, are quite inter- quite analogous to what what's been going on in Turkey and Hungary, for instance. So in that right. sense, so you know that the prior. Uh, you know now commonly thought to be authoritarian period in in history saw uh, you know in 75 in 75 and 77 so an attack on the judiciary at various levels right. now interestingly uh, you know some people are calling the last 8 years a kind of undeclared emergency etc but one of the interesting things about it is precisely that that uh, that absence you know that the that the, the uh, uh, executive does not seem to have any problem with the, with the way the judiciary is functioning of course it started with the well, with the well known njac battle whether uh whether where the, there was an attempted uh, constitutional amendment ashoy you have written about it quite a bit as well um right. about an attempt to institutionalize um a, a different process of a point of judicial appointments you know india has a strange system of judges appointing judges uh, theoretically uh, which you know which is probably unique in the world uh, which was um, uh, which which was sought to be streamlined uh, but the court in uh, in the strange judgment uh, to put it mildly uh, struck it down um but since then it has made no difference clearly in terms of uh, i mean it is in, in the sense that if 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 so to say that um, that judgment was an attempt to um to undermine executive interference in judicial functioning at regard to appointments that has clearly not been on the on 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 the contrary it's been vice versa so, so it's not like that collegium process has in any way stood in the path of 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 executive involvement I mean, but i think it almost seemed like a pyrrhic loss if i got invented yeah yeah i think, I think that <laughs> so may be a good, good match to lose for the government yes right. yes 
that's perhaps quite appropriate. But that, I think I think that is only one aspect of it with regard to the uh, the personnel, the appointments, right? The other right. is, of course, that um, that Mrs. Gandhi's attack was not just at the level of of incumbent judges or removing particular you know people who were not sympathetic to her, etc. But also at the attack on the powers of the court. Mrs. Gandhi right. was attacking directly what the court could do theoretically also under the constitutional regime. You know, many constitutional provisions for sort of be amended. Of course, they were uh, undone after the uh, emergency by the Janta right. regime in the 44th Amendment. But but it's an interesting thing to understand the, the thought behind that. Because the judiciary at the time, uh, by Mrs. Gandhi's regime, was famously thought as a kind of a, uh, obstacle to the kind of to the reform or to, to the changes that she, to the uh, socioeconomic changes that she wanted to bring about, such as they were, such as they were. Now, clearly, uh, uh, the current regime does not see the judiciary as any such obstacle at all, right? It, on the, it may well be an ally, and that's really interesting because um, because um, the the court, um, you know, at some level, like you said, uh, there's nothing changed. In fact, the court has acquired newer powers in the last few years. The the, the it's it's uh, you know it's ever expanding arsenal of of, of powers. You know, I, I mean, the judiciary in India by design was a very particularly powerful court. It was envisaged. Even if you read Granville Austin's work, he's talking about in the chapter on judiciary that it was designed to be a powerful court, and its powers, you know, got got enhanced over a period of time by the well-known basic structure doctrine, etc. But but interestingly, um, while those powers, like I said, in the first 25 years, were sought to be exercised in the classical function of you know, uh, of of being a check on the executive, etc. It's being uh, it's being exercised very differently in the last uh, four and a half decades. So, so and, and those powers, such as they were, have been expanded, have 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 expanded since then even further. And and in the last eight years, we have seen new doctrines like the doctrine of manifest arbitrariness, which which was first uh, the the court um, you know uh, basically propounded it in the in the triple the luck case, Justice uh, Rowinton. You break this down, Ross. What what is that for our viewers? Manifest arbitrariness. If if the judiciary feels that uh, a legislation uh, uh, seeks to uh, seeks to do something which is manifestly arbitrary in the view of the of, of the judiciary, it can be stuck on. Now you can imagine how random uh, you know uh, this kind of a doctrine very can arbitrary. be. <laughs> very arbitrary. In fact, <laughs> doctrine, uh, right? Alok Prasanna Kumar, uh, well-known legal commentator, has talked called it yeah. the. Uh, you know the arbitrariness of the arbitrary of the manifest <laughs> arbitrariness in a, in, a, in a critique of that, but but that is uh, the, the his critique is a is is a rare one relatively. You know, it's not that uh, unfortunately the culture uh, of critique around the judgments in uh, around the in the judiciary in India is still about you know if you don't like a particular judgment you go you speak against it, but you do not understand that this kind of expansion of powers itself comes with very, very uh, serious dangers. So what we are doing, so, so you know, what does the doctrine mean? Basically, <laughs> if the judiciary thinks any legislation is arbitrary, it can just write it down straight away. Now, a similar doc uh, doctrine has ex had existed since the 70s, which is also uh, a quite uh, uh, controversial one. Controversial, not for everybody, but for, for, but for court critic, uh, judiciary critics like like, like Sirvai, you know, H.M. Sirvai, the well-known yeah. constitutional scholar, but most people would not find it a problem, perhaps, was to say that if an executive act was deemed to be arbitrary, it could be struck down. This was a, a judgment given by Justice uh, Bhagwati uh, in right. the mid-70s. That was expanded to to not just executive act now, but to all legislation. Right. So, so, so this is, a, as you can see, it's quite a radical expansion of powers, right? And, and this has happened during the last, uh, this has happened in the last three, four years, you know. Um, uh, and one would think that, you know, this is, this is another ex example of, of the court's uh, 
uh, you know, court became more powerful at some level, right? Uh, you know, this idea of the Indian court being the most powerful judiciary in the world, which is often often cited. You can give this is another example of it. Another kind of doctrine the court has increasingly started deploying is this idea of um, um, uh, that um, uh, constitutional morality that X goes against constitutional morality and can be struck down. Now, again, this is a profoundly <laughs> vague formulation at best. You know, obviously. Uh, uh, we all may have our individual views about, um, you know, X laws or X uh, executive act being uh, against constitutional morality, but for the judiciary to just, you know, strike down a legislation based or, or a, uh, you know, it's quite a remarkable power to have. Now, this is again, you can see, and these are only new weapons that the court has got. You know, the court has it almost seems weapons. like uh, the judiciary is giving itself legislative powers. Well, so that's a, that's an interesting thing, right? So uh, that, I mean. The court, it's an interesting hybrid beast we have right now, the court, because right. at some level, it is not doing a judicial role, but it's performing right. more and more um, um, uh, legislative roles as well as executive roles. But also, uh, at some level, uh, these kinds of powers of, you know, striking down legislation being as being arbitrary, of course, is a judicial, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkably uh, uh, expanded idea of judicial uh, role, but, but it's still judicial at some level. Uh, right. But, you know, it is not, it, it's interesting how it is exercised. I mean, if you look at how, how uh, I mean, uh, uh, clearly uh, in, uh, in the re the latest controversial case that has come, it has been, you know, it has been written about, written about in the last few days on the PMLA Act. Now, clearly, you know, uh, uh, there's obviously nothing that is arbitrary, but that is what has happened because if you have such a vague doctrine, right, where the you know it's uh, uh, judges may feel X law is not arbitrary and X law is arbitrary, triple talaq is arbitrary, uh, or and uh, and PMLA is not, etc. Right? So obviously, I mean, and they're entitled to the views. You may have your own views. I may, have, but that is the, at the level it has reached. You know, uh, so so. And just to I'm give your viewers how arbitrary the PMLA is, in my view, uh, yes, is that uh, you are guilty before being held innocent. You can be arrested <laughs> without being told what the charges are. Uh, your property can be seized, so that is not that did not fall afoul <laughs> of uh, you know yeah. the doctrine that Anu just laid out. It's not manifestly nah. arbitrary. Yeah. Exactly, in my view, it's like if, <laughs> it's, it's 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 an outrageous uh, piece of legislation, uh, right. but the court has written five hundred pages to justify it. So 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 what I'm going to say is that the the powers of the court are there. So the, uh, are there uh, seemingly they can do pretty much uh, you know they they could. I mean, there's nothing stopping them. Uh, theoretically, in terms of their powers, from acting against the, uh, the government with regard to, or acting against the, 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 the executive or the legislature. But clearly, it's not being exercised in that manner at all. Uh, and in my view, that is because <clears throat> the, the court in the last many decades has seen its normative role as a different one uh, yeah. from what is uh, what it saw in the first 25 years or what is generally seen in the role in, in the case of liberal democracy, you know, it's not interested in performing the negative role, the defense, the the, the, the role of the shield. Uh, it's it's interested in in competing with the executive legislature or or, or in, in facilitating their 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 powers in 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 carrying out various purposes of the state. Various in a way, you're saying that like people who said that at the beginning of the Modi thing that the court will check the executive, in a way that ignored actually the last three decades of the court's own history. Absolutely. I think, I mean, uh, of course, the benefit of hindsight, uh, but I think I, I, I could say that right. uh, it was naive at best. And if, if you had studied the, the, the role of the court in the last many decades, right. you would have been more careful about 
about about uh, forecasting that kind of a role in fact let's get into that so this is you know this is this is uh, anuj's core domain this is quoting the people domain so anuj very interestingly writes uh, that the court actually uh, i mean opposed the executive right till indra gandhi and then indra gandhi was so powerful that it just said if you can't beat him join him it sort of became a populist pass and of its own and it sort of adopted this excuse me populist garb and rather than checking the executive it started competing with the executive to be a populist organ have i got that right anuj do you want to expand on that right right now that's an interesting point because you see uh, it's important to uh, to uh, to understand that obviously populism is a word that is that is used a lot in indian uh, right. you know media and indian parlance and in all kinds of public discourse and it is used in all kinds of ways but Please. and i i one could argue i, I mean i think i think inarguably almost that that since 1971 language of indian politics uh, is that of populism since mrs gandhi's famous election in 1971 right uh, i think and that's probably true about much of south asia in fact not just uh, india and and that's you know i think most indian politicians um in the way they function could be considered to be populist in in, in the kind of like because populism yeah. uses a negative term one, one of the things that i liked about say gyan prakash's history of the emergency is yeah he also gives you know like then the, the There's a caste angle. There's OBCs are coming into politics. I think you call yeah. it vernacularization, or you quoted someone in your book. Yeah. The vernacularization yeah. of Indian politics, of course, one facet of which is populism. But yeah, there's, there's right. a whole host of changes happening in the 70s. Right. Right. Now, but there's a difficult. There's a difference when the court itself becomes populist. You see, I mean, right. the court was uh, um, uh, was, of course, uh, in a sense. Um, I mean, what I've tried to argue in in the book is that you know uh, the the post-emergency transformation of the court is not just the court suddenly you know becoming realizing it made a mistake and you know and trying to correct its court, but but the court becoming a fundamentally different kind of an institution, right? right? The court is no longer interested in performing the negative function, like I was saying. The court is actually. Um, I mean, you are basically telling the sort of the standard origin story of the PIL in a way. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. Kalpa to. Right, the Supreme Court rubber stamping the emergency, so they said. But you you disagree with that formulation in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more complex. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that you know, that is a classic idea that you know they have, that they've done a bad thing during the emergency, and now right. they try to do good things through right. through PIL and all of that. But I think the the uh, the transformation is more fundamental than that. The transformation is the court is no, like I said, no longer interested in that the classic normative role at all. It's 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 a very different kind of court. The court is basically right. not interested in judicial review, but in judicial populism. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, I think right. there's a there's, uh, like I said, Indian judicial Indian politics is 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 you know the language of Indian politics is populism. But when the judiciary becomes populist, uh, there are inherent dangers in that, right? Right. Firstly, obviously, unlike the other populist politicians who get elected. Uh, who have to fight elections, you know, like it or not, uh, they have to, you know, they have a certain basic accountability at a very, at a very fundamental level. Obviously, judges do not have that, right? So right. that is obviously that is obviously at a very basic level. But there's a more, uh, there's a more uh, important. I mean, there, there is a, there is a more inherent difficulty. You see, the main constraint, the way in which, uh, see, you can say that the courts, uh, courts are political, right? Uh, so uh, you know, and at, at a fundamental, at, at a kind of a Basic level, that's true. That that the courts are political, right? Because it's a it's, an, it's a state institution performing a particular role, right? Right. But in performing that political function, uh, as as prescribed by the constitution, uh, right? Uh, it is it it has to act in in certain manner, right? Um, you know, famously the one of the famous theorizations of the judiciary uh, given in the Federalist Papers of the U.S. by 
uh, uh, man called Alexander Hamilton, who was having some of some, but a bit of a revival, was you know that that while the um, the parliament is characterized, uh, you know, the, the, the power lies in its purse, you know, that, that controls the budget, the right. executive line, it's sword. Uh, the, the power of the, of the judiciary really has to be it's characterized by judgment, right? Now, what has precisely happened in India is, is, is that the decline of that. Now, so, so the, the ways in which the court has to act, even if it wants to act politically, is through the language of law, meaning that it has to, the, the, uh, it's, uh, it has to exercise, you know, legal reasoning, what's called public reason, right? And right. it has to, and its functioning is regulated by norms of procedural justice, right? That, uh, that there are ways in which they're supposed to co- the court is supposed to act. It cannot just, uh, you know. So, so there are there are inherent limitations in 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 the way in which um, the court is supposed to function. Now, what happens when I say judicial populism? It's precisely that it gives up on all of these norms, right? It yeah. gives up on on. So basically. You know, if you, if you think classically that, you know, the role of judiciary is to check the lawlessness of the executive, or, 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 you know, or of a lawless law. Uh, uh, I think w- what is characterized in judiciary is itself lawlessness. You know, we have a lawless judiciary in the sense that, you know, it, it, it is it, uh, it, the reliance on substantive norms. Basically, the court is acting, has started acting in ways that, that, um, uh, goes beyond the legal, in, whether it be in, in terms of its legal reasoning, you know, which is often devoid of of uh, logic or in uh, you know, or reason or or law, or um, um, in in terms of uh, the, the procedure. But that is, of course, and and this was self consciously done, by the way. This was not so because it's getting completely object oriented. It's going to say that absolutely, I'm absolutely. going to remove poverty, and exactly, exactly. How exactly. I get to that path is immaterial. Yeah. Right. Now, this is particularly to do with what I what I call the apotheosis of of uh, of a particular part of the constitution called directive principles. So, right. which Mrs. Gandhi would would repeatedly use in the seventies to beat the judiciary with that. You know, you guys all prioritize privilege, this this liberal rights, this this elitist rights, right? right? This this discourse of uh, this of rights uh, being seen as the main uh, you know protecting rights being seen as the function of the judiciary and the co- right. and the Mrs. Gandhi repeatedly beating the uh, the judiciary with that. With that, you know that that preoccupation rights, as opposed to that of directive principles, which is about the you know state pursuing ideas of social economic transformation. Uh, now, what happens after the emergency is precisely that 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 the court basically um, accepts Mrs. Gandhi's uh, logic. You know that, and and we see particularly uh, uh, in in the language of Justice Bhagwati, who is perhaps the most influential judge uh, in uh, in this period, and I would say in Indian post-independence Indian. Um, um, He's also the history. father of the PIL. Father, father of PIL, right. person who, uh, you know, many other uh, changes. You know, the, the right to life expansion was led by him also, for instance. Right. So, um, and this right to life expansion is a very interesting one, you know, uh, uh, because uh, it's, you know, the, 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 the provision actually reads, no person shall be deprived of life or personal liberty except a procedure established by law. Now, what they did, uh, what has happened in the, period, in, in the last four decades, I argue, is that they've read all kinds of things into life that you cannot be deprived of life, uh, meaning including sleep, for instance, in the in, in Baba Ramdev's case, uh, you know, in Ram Ramdev's Ram, Ram case. So you cannot be deprived of uh, all of the, but you can be deprived of, of 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 personal liberty itself, meaning that basically everything except what is literally mentioned in the constitution is part of that right to life. So what I'm trying to say is that this is Bhagwati actually programmatically read like this, and he was quite explicit about it that that you know we cannot be privileging all this uh, all these. Uh, you know all these elitist rights. We have right. to talk about in the Indian realities demand 
that we must privilege, uh, we must give uh, more importance to, um, to you know, to um, to uh, state goals of 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 the two directive principles of you know bringing about equality, etc. And interestingly, uh, if you look at recent judgments from from and the more controversial recent judgment in the last few years. Including the MPA, the, P, the PMLA of, of a few days back, right. uh, the, the, the Solicitor General tried to defend the PMLA again in the language directive principles. Um, the Aadhaar, uh, one of the principal grounds of the of of, of upholding well the Aadhaar was, was welfare, of course. Yeah. Uh, that so so uh, and the directive principle explicitly actually it's not hidden. Uh, so yeah. I'm just trying to say that um, that the court actually changed its I mean, and also. In some ways, it's grounded in the text of the constitution. You see, so one of the interesting uh, problems in India, uh, you know, that you know, the 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 problem of unelected judiciary is a global one. You know, this question of crisis of legitimacy of an unelected court, <coughs> and it is you know, you're acting against uh, an elected uh, legislature, right? Who gives you the power? Who gives the legitimacy? Right? That question of and this in American, uh, um, you know, legal parlance is called the 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 problem of you know the, of the, the counter majoritarian difficulty they call it right how do you legitimize these these unelected judges right. sitting over elected uh, legislators uh, india is particularly acute that problem because we have this provision this this set of provisions called directive principles now directive principles are of course of course uh, you know we have all uh, probably read it in school in some version we see that these innocuous yeah. uh, you know uh, well meaning provisions Five mark in, question in every civics <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but right. and, and you know some of some some of us may not be uh, particularly fond of certain of certain directive principles on prohibition or on on, on but broadly broadly seen as a you know good thing, yeah, good thing, right? right? But but it's interesting to think about directive principles um, uh, in the space it occupies in the constitution. What is the rest of the constitution trying to do? The rest of the constitution. What is the constitution trying to do? It's trying to. Uh, you know, define the sovereignty of, of, of a new state through its various organs is to divide the, so the sovereignties, to canalize the sovereignty, right? Uh, and can limit it in certain ways. What things it can do, how, how it has to go, go about it, who will be the authorities, etc. What is directive principles trying to do? It is, on the other hand, giving a kind of a, you know, kind of a invitation to the state to do certain, to carry out certain uh, noble objectives. Expanding state power. Absolutely, actually. absolutely, absolutely. And that from 1950 onwards, Immediately right. since uh, since Nehru's time, since the First Amendment, since nine, the, the the government of the day has basically argued that why is the judiciary obsessed with the rest of the constitution? Whatever directive principles, right? And 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 we are carrying out certain uh, laws or we are carrying out certain uh, you know certain acts in in order to enhance directive principles. That's what the constitution has given us uh, the mandate to do. So basically, uh, that counter majority and difficulty in India gets further accentu accentuated by this. By this constitutional uh, anomaly of directive principles, uh, some people may not like me calling it an anomaly, but maybe the, the strangeness of it, of it, which we have normalized, but there is a, there is a certain difficulty that this led to, which and and since uh, and and you know in the 70s, uh, Mrs. Gandhi used it particularly uh, uh, effectively this language of directive principles uh, during the emergency, and 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 since then, in the kind of the new hegemony that this that this provisions enjoyed. Uh, and this particular language of attacking the judiciary as as basically colonial and elitist, etc., um, was uh, acted upon, uh, you know, and mimicked by by Justice Bhagwati in his judgment. Uh, you know, I've, I've written as uh, I, I talk about Justice Bhagwati. You know, what Mrs. Gandhi was to Indian politics, Justice Bhagwati was to Indian judiciary in terms of Mrs. Gandhi 
decide, I mean, decisively change the language of Indian politics in India, right? And I think Justice Bhagwati did precisely that with regard to judiciary. And yeah. One thing that I wanted, so from this Bhagwati thing, I wanted, I wanted to just jump off. One very interesting thing, when Bhagwati is just starting off his, you know, remaking of the Indian judiciary, his language is, uh, is, is a kind of, you know, vaguely leftist language. I think the court is, you know, trying to meet these socialist goals, which are also largely directive principles. You know, that was the environment that our constitution was framed in. Uh, and I think there was a fair bit of uh, support from left liberals, this large, you know, it's a very amorphous, so I don't want to put a, you know, exact term to it. But later, as you write, in a way, the, the PIL then moved. It became this anti-poor tool. Uh, and the court itself today, if you look at it, you know, 30, 40 years later, is there are strong elements of, uh, of the right wing in the court. So is, I mean, in a way, was that initial expansion of powers or at least this change by leftists and liberals a bit of an unstrategic move, just looking at it from their point of view? Or is, is, it, is it a benefit of hindsight, unfairness that I'm putting on? No, I think it's definitely not only unstrategic but callous move in my view. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, you know, you, you created a Frankenstein. So yeah, I mean, um, what I mean at some level, populism is inherently uh, unstable. When Mrs. Gandhi in 1971 fought in the basis of Garibia Dao, by the time of emergency, became a population and and Nasbandi and you know such categories. So populism inherently is started is, blaming uh, the poor for their poverty eventually. Right? Yeah, right. yeah, and and that's how you know. I mean, that's the inher inherent instability of it. But judiciary is usually inoculated against such <laughs> against such you know uh, such trends because of the of its of the discipline it's so it's it's supposed it's supposed to have you know usually but in india the ju judiciary has discarded the discipline decades back right so so in that sense of course but but at some level you see i don't think that language has gone in india entirely there's a certain um welfareist language like you said with other cases now is a few years back right uh, that the court is, um, you know, relying on that to uphold that, you know, that we are trying to provide food, uh, you know, food security, etc. And uh, so, so that language is not entirely gone. And and even then, by the way, directive was always included prohibition and cow slaughter, right? right? And in fact, people often, I, I I'm quite surprised how people omit that because, in fact, there are, I mean, if there are two directive principles which have been weaponized from the word go after the coming of the, the fourth constitution, are these true. two, you know, because. I mean, the cow slaughter laws were there in the early 50s, uh, you know, all these, um, and prohibition, of course, right? Bombay and I mean, so much. So, you know, right. it's, so, you know, this right-wing agenda was not hidden, you know, right. <laughs> at some level, right? It was part of, this is a strange, obviously, Indian left is obviously not, uh, it's obviously a strange mix of, you know, uh, I mean, uh, of, of, of ideas, right? So at some level, prohibition is actually quite popular among much of the Indian left also, you know, so right. for instance. For instance, and 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 uh, and the imposition of cow slaughter, uh, or ban on cow slaughter rather, was actually an attempt to think of them terms of, of decolonizing, right? When, the, when this yeah. defeating British were there, we could not get rid of. Uh, but now we are independent. Now we now the you know the Bihar legislature and UP legislature in the early 50s thought that, you know, now we have we can we can do what we wanted to do, right? Uh, in fact, so, so it's right till uh, the recent 2007 judgment. I think the at least legally, it's always discussed as an economic issue. Yeah, yeah. So right? it's of course couched as that, as you're rightly saying. A couch you know, right. couched as the directive principle, which was made about animal husbandry and scientific forms of agriculture. Right. But of course, now, uh, as we know, that's that's no longer the case. That 
<laughs> you know, the fig leaf is no longer uh, felt to be needed. But right. but I'm just saying that 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 uh, that uh, that so the so-called left agenda uh, becoming the right agenda is is in many ways uh, you know it was always playing with fire, uh, but it was also that. Um, it was always a kind of a hybrid mix, you know. It was never kind of ideologically consistent uh, in any right. case. And 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 at this point, uh, you know, and it's still not entirely gone. I mean, I mean, we know that in in uh, politics, whatever right words you may say, it continues to have this, uh, you know, welfareist language. You know, I mean, obviously, um, all parties profess it. Almost all parties profess it. I would say, it's the, and there's no libertarians in Indian Indian politics. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Actually, there are, yeah. That's yeah, true. Okay. I think everybody's uh, uh, at least on at least officially on paper is is a welfare is big state guy, right? Up yeah. uh, back, I want to so this 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 question of the big state. One of the one of um, there's a very interesting series of lectures by this former UK Supreme Court judge called called I'm just going to call him Mr. Sumption, but actually his title is Lord Sumption. Uh, so Sumption has this very interesting thesis that you know I, I would actually it's 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 part of a lecture series called the Reith Lectures. I would kind of recommend it generally the lecture series, but specifically his lectures because he sort of takes a bit of a hammer to this idea, which is very prevalent in the West and maybe is even in India that expansion of the law per se is a good thing. I mean there might be a bit few hitches here and there, but as long as you legalize something, that's a good thing. And he sort of puts a pin in that. And one of his very interesting examples actually is uh, abortion. Like he says that abortion was politically fought out in Europe. Uh, it was legislated on. And hence it has actually deeper roots uh, as an idea compared to in the US where it was a judicial pronouncement. So it was never properly uh, fought out in the political sphere. And of course, uh, he actually gave the lectures a few years back. It's quite Christian today now when actually Roe v. Wade has been overturned actually. So suddenly with, you know, with if you can convince like, I don't know, nine judges, you can you can take away human rights at a vast scale in a way. Mm -hmm. Is this a tendency in India too? Is there a tendency to hyper-legalize, uh, to take everything to the Supreme Court, to make every social, political issue into a legal issue? Yeah, that's a really good question, Shweb. And uh, I would say that two parts of it. One is the judicial, uh, judicializing, judicializing every issue. But the other is also legalizing every issue in terms of trying to legislate on every issue. Both aspects right. need to be talked good about. But, right. but, but on the uh, abortion issue, it's, it's quite interesting to speak about in the, the day after the, um, uh, the referendum in Kansas, you know, where the, you know, they, the, 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 there was a referendum on whether the, 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 um, the, the constitution of, Can of Kansas, which actually bars any, uh, uh, which bars, which, which basically uh, bars any criminalization of abortion, uh, right. was was um, and Kansas is of course a Republican state as it has been for decades. Um, right. Basically, in the in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade, um, the, the the Republican leaders tried there tried to introduce this this um, amendment uh, through through a kind of a referendum um, on on whether. Uh, uh, on 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 the need to criminalize abortion, just like any other many other red states, right. it was defeated squarely. It was I mean this is this is a kind of a wow. kind of a political earthquake in the U.S. because people are realizing that uh, Roe v. Wade uh, reversal doubles may actually benefit benefit the Democrats much more because because actually right. uh, uh, criminalizing uh, uh, abortion is a very unpopular idea in many many red states. So in a red state like Kansas, 
the yeah. right to abortion has popular support. Absolutely, absolutely. It just doesn't have to support the Supreme Court of the United States. That's all, right? Yeah, and people thought it may be a narrow victory for the Democrats in that, right. or, or maybe maybe but it actually they won it. They won it by fifteen percent. You know, so that's that's massive. Wow. So so this is a very interesting point what you're what you're raising, and this is it's been seen in the last couple of years in Ireland and Argentina, two 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 deeply Catholic states and historically right. Catholic states, which have decriminalized abortion, as far as I know. Um, uh, I think both of them have uh, decriminalized abortion, and and again through referenda, not through judicial pronouncements. So it's an interesting uh, point that perhaps if the abortion battles in the U.S. Uh, you know had gone through. Uh, you know, uh, popular, uh, you know, uh, through through popular mobilization, as it as it was, by the way, in the late 60s, early 70s. But then right. it was at some level. I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert on this, but from what I little I know, that, that there was a there, there was a move uh, towards um, towards uh, decriminalizing abortion in many states. But somehow it was short circuited by this national level, um, you know, uh, judgment that suddenly Roe v. Wade. Imposed it, and it became a. It's like it's a inherently judgments of this kind of kind of a top-down uh, form, you know. I mean, uh, whatever you may think in certain instances, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. So, um, so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Also, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm again no expert in U.S. politics, but that's, I think it's also to understand the importance of going state by state, right? You know, you have to fight those battles in Alabama and Kansas, and not just in you know California yeah. and New York, you know, or, or that. Yeah. So that. So, so it has to be a ground up kind of thing, like absolutely, yeah. rather than a top. And 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 the judges, uh, uh, with judgments inherently are at some level, right? So obviously, it's easier said than done. Obviously, Ruby Wade has, I mean, the reversal of Ruby Wade and Dobbs obviously has devastating consequences for for the mid for for, for the for the immediate, uh, you know, uh, aftermath. But in the long term, may actually be not necessarily. But anyway, we'll see about that. Right. But uh, about. but I think the larger point, uh, 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 in the Indian context, of what I was saying. About uh, the the tendency to legalize uh, uh, social issues, political issues, through um, through uh, legislations or through um, judgments. Now, on the question of going the uh, the legislative route, there has been a lot of writing, not recently, but uh, in the 90s and uh, in the last uh, uh, decade prior to. I mean, the noughties, uh, there was work written by particularly uh, well-known feminist scholar Flavia Agnes and Nivedita Menon, who basically criticized this. This move in the women's movement to immediately try to form a, to get a legislation to kind of you know solve the, the various patriarchal social problems. It especially was for child marriage. Child marriage, the many and dowry. Child marriage, uh, yeah. right, for dowry. Right. Sati and and of course the most uh, well known perhaps is the is the rape reforms and what it led to. Right. right. And 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 now recently I uh, I read Rukmini S, the well known journalist, uh, uh, writing about 2013 uh, amendments. Uh, the post uh, uh, rape amendment being counterproductive for the women's movement, uh, in, interestingly. Mm -hmm. So, so this is this is an interesting kind of a quandary. This attempt to legislate away um, social problems. Uh, now, of course, there's nothing undemocratic about that inherently. You know, you're going to the legisl elected legislature and, and asking them to legislate, right. and you're able to do that at through specific mobilizations at specific times. But this turn to law has often uh, consequences which are. Uh, which are, um, you know, unpredictable, counterproductive, you know. At the very least, it's much more complex than I think it's talked yeah. about. People think that the legislation yeah. past is the end of the story. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. it's the beginning of yeah. the story very often, right? And often people forget, you know, the most important interpreters of the law in India are the police. Right. You know, 
And how is that cop in that, you know, going to interpret your fancy new law? That is something that people need to really think about. So, you know, maybe, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, again, benefit of hindsight, perhaps you could say, but I think uh, people have to be very careful when they demand uh, reforms because they can, right. anyway, that is one aspect of it. The second is um, the judicialization. And that is, of course, uh, you know, that that's particularly uh, been an acute problem in India the last, uh, I mean, the tendency in India problem is my view, maybe, you know, let us may not think of it, a tendency in India in the 80s of basically going to court and uh, and saying that here is a social problem and please solve it. And this can be all kinds of social problems. It was initially led by the more left tendencies. Now it's <laughs> now it's all, <laughs> all equal opportunity, uh, you know. So, so almost any issue in India that you can think of, um, uh, has been uh, has takes the judicial route. So I mean, uh, the most extreme probably being the environmental movement because somehow the rise of the environmental movement happened at the same time as the rise of PIL. So every aspect, uh, so when you study environmental law in India, it's basically a bunch of PIL. You know, so it's a very particularly strange and extreme uh, situation with regard to that. But but um, but in general, that is a problem. You know, uh, if you want to start on any aspect, you can't think of any aspect in India where immediately you can go to court and you think that. Court obviously is at some level a, a blunt instrument. You know they're sitting there, uh, and obviously it's a top-down. You know it's going to be um, top-down form, and you know it's going to hear. Uh, you know, I mean, and and that that of course, I mean, it follows uh, the problems that it leads to. Uh, something uh, I've written about. In, 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 I mean, in I my, think courts are yeah. inherently bad organs to make policy because yeah, yeah, executives yeah. have these you know they have firstly they're linked to the people through politicians they have vast bureaucracies yeah right? yeah, Both, yeah i mean there's just one brave guy right i mean in the very commonsensical and the, the feedback mechanism of, of politicians whatever they are is very strong they know that there's certain cost to certain right. doing certain things right uh, you know if you are going to change the fuel in of auto rickshaws uh, you know, the most well, the most notorious of such, or celebrated of such, of such instances, or dramatically, uh, in like two years, uh, you're going to move from one field to another. What is going to happen in the short term for public transport? In the long term, also, you know, the, in Delhi has still has a less number of buses now than it had in two, in 1998. In, in actual numbers, the population may have doubled or something, but the, but the number of uh, the buses uh, is actually in, in numerical terms lesser, and that has been the price that the city has to pay. Right, has had to pay. So I'm just saying that these these are these are. It may let's assume that they mean the, that they have they had the best of intentions. Let's assume that the judges were trying to do good, right? They, but obviously, you know, what's these are what they call polycentric uh, issues. You know, there are many many aspects to the, to to this issue, and and obviously, in the judicial mechanism, is inherently limited that it cannot hear many affected parties, and and that inherent limitation is. Exacerbated by the way that our courts function, where they, they move away and they think they are omniscient and they think they can. And on the other know. end, this is literally the job of politics to balance. Exactly, exactly, right? exactly. I mean, that's exactly. what it's made. Exactly. Right. If Sheila Dixit did not want to do this, there were reasons behind she did not want to do this. Right. right? Or if she wanted to do it, she was good, good. I mean, I'm just saying that politicians have, in, have, whatever you may think of Indian politicians, they have their own feedback mechanism. They may decide to do some things for certain reasons. You know, the, right. the, the judges are just. Are just not capable of that, you know. And 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 sure, there are certain aspects. Once they are, once they are, I'm not saying there should not be uh, turned to the judiciary in certain instances. Obviously, uh, there are certain matters. Once you have, you know, that there are ways in which it can be, uh, it right. can be adjudicated. But but there are dangers to it. And Indian um, activists, again across left, right, whatever, have been uh, have been 
particularly um, well almost uh, i mean been flippant about it been 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 callous about it in, in ways with, which has had devastating consequences that are to their own causes uh, very often so yeah uh, i'm going to uh, final question i'm going to yank you back to the present uh, uh, this is for the last few weeks maybe months courts uh, judges have really complained about media criticism right uh, there been a series of uh, judge lectures now i'm i'm not really sure whether judge always gave, judges always give so many lectures or we suddenly you know covering them <laughs> but, but there has been a lot of coverage of lectures given by judges uh, and one of the frequent complaints that they made is that there is a lot of media criticism social media criticism uh, i mean of course i don't agree that i mean i don't agree with them that there shouldn't be criticism But I have a feeling that just from my personal experience that there is now a lot more criticism of judges. In fact, when I read your book, I remember standing out thinking that this is one of the few critiques of a beloved. You know, you went in and criticized Santa Claus almost. You know, like so, <laughs> you <laughs> right? You criticized the PIL, right? I mean, this you know. So, so I was like, okay, so that's it. Stood out in many ways for that. I think a lot more people now are doing maybe. what you did earlier and critiquing the judges some of it is good some of it is bad but do you think this trend is true that there's more criticism of judges and if it is why yeah i think uh, i mean first i have to say that i think of more myself as that little boy who says the emperor is wearing no clothes so that uh, you know everybody was somehow going along with that but um, right. but yeah i think one of the one of the positive ten, uh, you know uh, developments in the last few years has been there's a kind of a culture of criticism around around legal activity which is uh, around on the court which is, which is i think uh, unqualified good uh, whatever the future of the court is uh, in, uh, firstly i have to say that the the indian judges have been getting a lot of attention for a very long time uh, uh, an american scholar worked in india for a while nick robinson wrote about how you know he was just doing some kind of a study of how often times of india or other major newspapers report about indian parliament right. this is about 10 years back and when how often they report report about the indian um, uh, uh, supreme court and it was it was very clear that supreme court is uh, way more uh, getting much more attention from the from from wow. from the from the you know from at least the um, mainstream english media i mean uh, you know um, uh, news media i mean uh, print media then um, then um, this is this is a while back right this is uh, this is about, i think at least I, 10 years back i, I yeah. think as a news person i would say that's true even now yeah honestly so so this, so I, i mean off the top of my head right and i think in that case i think what has perhaps changed that he said even more than the prime minister i think that part is probably changed now <laughs> the right, judiciary part is again more than the prime minister but true. but i'm i'm not sure, i don't remember it exactly but certainly more than the parliament but perhaps uh, yeah so um so it has been getting attention for a while now what has happened in the last few years has been uh, a kind of a media uh, explosion on, on uh, in a qualitative coverage of the of, of the courts particularly led by uh, organizations like live law and uh, and bar and bench and and live tweeting especially that they that they've done systematically is kind of complete game changer because this opaque institution called the court from which you know you would hear you know snippets of in the news you know you would it would be covered in the newspapers but the newspapers can cover it in a very i mean inherently they have to cover it in a very limited manner they can only do right. it you know in terms of um uh, but the the kind of wall to wall coverage that you see now the kind of <laughs> comprehensiveness with which they cover it uh, is uh, and the kind of speed with which they cover it uh has meant that um you know uh, that we are exposed to what's going on in the uh, in the court um you know in 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 a much more comprehensive manner in a much more accessible manner 
than ever before right so so i think uh, so part of that a uh, uh, part of uh, this is unqualified good in my view uh, you know um, but, but, yeah. but, uh, but also the number of blogs the number of writing uh, which uh, which has i mean it's kind of um, you know spun, spun off because of the coverage also partly uh, the, and obviously uh, it, it's i mean there's been a general expansion in media in, in general and somehow um, perhaps certain kinds of media the particular certain kind of media particularly well suited for certain kinds of institutions to cover right. and uh, visual media have inherent limitations when you don't have live coverage or you know right. it's, it's boring to hear a uh, talking talking head though of course uh, you know that's another aspect which we need, perhaps yeah. uh, is aspect that you know for i mean for a long time now this this so called debates on in uh, on indian tv news uh, has had lawyers you know you would never in any other country see the number of lawyers you see on 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 tv news that you see in india you know literally and almost every channel has their own favorites <laughs> of course but but it's remarkable how many lawyers sometimes of course they would uh, wearing their whites <laughs> and, and you know it's it's, it's a, i mean there's a phenomenon called tv lawyers tv lawyers now twitter lawyers now you know that that is that is that has happened now uh, you know and um, and it, it's it's partly obviously the importance of the institution that it acquired in the last many many de- many decades um and uh, um yeah so i think but but i think the culture of criticism is really important uh, what has happened and partly of course it's the excesses of the of the code in the last few years that you know it's been particularly extreme uh, in in many ways um that has uh, led to this uh, but 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 i think uh this you know in the court's own words sunlight is the best in dis- disinfectant so you know i think uh, i think the more exposure we get to the court's functioning i think you see indians are cynical about uh, in in many ways about um but much of our politics much of our institutions much of the media but somehow bizarrely enough they were not so cynical about the judiciary or some parts right. of the judiciary right and that i, th- I think has been but do you think uh, that's like, changed i think that that is changed and that's not as a, as a bad thing i mean to some extent obviously it's a um i mean i mean uh, to, fi- to fill the viewers in on this uh, anuj's book again cody has a very fascinating dynamic which i which i find very fascinating indians personally would hate going to a court and they think the lower judiciary especially is very corrupt and this but generally till now there was a great regard to the higher judiciary almost in the abstract yeah. but you are saying now with so much of media coverage that maybe the needle is shifting a bit little bit i think to some extent i mean right. uh, uh, i'm not i mean uh, it's difficult to say i mean i'm just speculating <laughs> i have no right. data to to back me up right. but i right. think uh, but i no, think but I, just for my to... thing also i agree with you this i i find yeah. this hallowed regard for the court i think is a bit more difficult both on the left and the right honestly it's a it's a bipartisan yeah yeah yeah, yeah i think the proliferation of uh, of 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 critical writings in general is a good thing and also what has happened is that when the court starts to function less and less like a court like then obviously you know is that that respect that comes from it being at least like you may disagree with the judgment but you can say that you know at least it was but increasingly that's not the case increasingly that is do not write like uh, do not write judgments in the language of law you know do not follow their own norms so uh, you know whether they follow they blatantly violate constitutional norms in in, in you know uh, provisions when giving judgments they they they, they perform i mean they start judge, long judgments with whatsapp forwards i mean what do you say about this so obviously they have or get elected to the rajya sabha they get elected to rajya sabha so you know so the ways in which they have been functioning as the as the, as the judiciary functions less and less like a uh, like like a judiciary you know as it as it gives up its judicial function uh, in more and more um, uh in a stark ways 
obviously criticism is is going to come and the cynicism that we have about every other institution uh, which uh, you know i mean at some level to some extent i think cynicism was required by the judiciary there's far too much wide eyed uh, you know um, kind of view about the court in uh, let's say about 10 years back and i think it needed to be rectified didn't have to go this far perhaps <laughs> but the court has and i can of kind of forced right. our hand but on the other point that you made and it's a, you know about this schizophrenic view that indians have about lower judiciary and high judiciary lower judiciary is like completely pathological through and through jolly llb right that is the our view of 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 i mean indians court. would literally go to gangsters them go yeah. to court in some cases right like yeah so right. this kind of so while there's one view of the of the lower judiciary ye to matlab you know it's <laughs> no hope and on the other hand high judiciary is like the fountain of hope you know it's like panacea for everything you know right. anything you take to court they will solve it that was the idea right and i think uh, well well that has been somewhat rectified but i mean I, I, the analogy i would i would give is that you know the lower courts were like train stations you know uh, dirty uh, in terms of and no security that's another aspect of indians are like like you know the accessible in that sense of full of you know uh, you know it it felt like it was excessively embedded in the indian indian social just like railway stations right. and uh, uh, and and uh, Uh, high judiciary like airports you know <laughs> that <laughs> shining spaces difficult to go get into you know uh, very, very expensive to access and you know uh, somehow and and completely disembedded from the indian social at least attempted at least it was it, uh, it was till a few years back so you know so that stop you there are completely out of time this is a fascinating point and you know we can really i think discuss that uh, discuss this for the next couple of hours but yeah. uh, we'll hopefully have you on again on the show uh, because I think we're, there's a lot to discuss about the judiciary, but I'm going to stop the show here. It was a fascinating show, Anush. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, thank you, Shoaib. It was a pleasure as usual to talk to you. Pleasure. Uh, Anush's book is called "Quoting the People," and uh, give it to read. That's all we have for the seventh episode of Explore Ideas. Thank you for watching. Thank you.